My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Here we are on the other side of Easter, and I've been doing some thinking. On Easter, we were singing the hymns and praising the Lord. We were on the mountaintop. But here on the other side, though we still walk in the light, we have to confront reality. You can't stay on the mountaintop forever. And as I've been thinking and as I've been confronting, I've come to realize some essential truths. Something has to change. Our country is pretty messed up. We can listen to the talking heads talk about how politically divided we are, about the need to reach across the aisle, all that sort of stuff. But I'm talking about a brokenness that's on an entirely different level. Here, we are so obsessed with financial gain and economic prosperity that we've allowed capitalism to become our religion. It's what we worship. It's what we worship. And the evils of capitalism, of which there are many, are as real as the evils of militarism and the evils of racism. As a nation, we spend more money each and every year on national defense than we do on programs of social uplift, which is surely a sign of our imminent spiritual doom. We perpetuate a culture in which one out of every three black men can expect to go to prison at some point in their life. The price that we must pay for the continued oppression of black bodies in our country is the price of our own destruction. There is so much injustice in our country. Racial injustice, economic injustice, gendered injustice, and they cannot be solved unless we have a radical redistribution of political and economic power. Something has to change. So time out. Pause. How did that make you feel? Did that make you angry? Did that make you fill uh, with frustration and disappointment? Are you ready to leave with your clenched fist, ready to demand a change? Are you ready to leave and never come back because I said something evil and wrong about our country? Everything that I just said did not come from me. Everything I said did not come from me. It came from another preacher, actually. His name was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Those words were his uh, and not my own. And it was because he was willing to say things like that that make us squirm in discomfort that he was murdered. This past week saw the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. when he was in Memphis, Tennessee. Five decades have passed, have come and gone since he stood on that balcony at the motel and was gunned down. Five decades of wondering whether his dream would ever become a reality. Five decades of holding up his speeches, remembering all of his quotes. But what do we really remember about him? Perhaps the two most memorable things about his life, his speeches, his messages, are the I have a dream speech that he offered on Capitol Hill, and then another quote, a quote that I saw again and again on Facebook and on Twitter this week, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That's a pretty good quote. I mean, I like that a lot. And it fits perfectly with the scripture I read. 
This is the message that we heard, that we share with you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we're walking in darkness, we lie and we do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is the life, then we have fellowship with God the Father and with Jesus the Son. There's a nice and easy sermon here where you take that scripture from 1 John 1 and you connect it with Martin Luther King Jr.'s language about lightness and darkness and love and hate. But that sermon would allow us to leave with our chins held high, with being able to pat ourselves on the back. And the thing is, Dr. King's life and his witness was about a whole lot more than one quote or one speech or even one issue. Just as Jesus' life was about a far lot more than just being nice to everybody. Here in 2018, we forget that the year before he was killed, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was one of the most hated men in our country. Contrary to what we see every January when we celebrate his legacy, when he died, he was not the icon of freedom and equality. Years after his death in 1987, a poll revealed that 75% of Americans had a very favorable rating of Dr. King. Americans that same year named him as the person they admired and respected more than any other person in the country's history. But the year before he died, there was a poll that said 63% of Americans were vocally and adamantly opposed to his words and his work. It's hard to remember this. It's hard to even acknowledge it because today everybody loves Dr. King. We celebrate his transformative work in documentaries and school projects. It's easier to celebrate someone's life when they're no longer challenging or upsetting the status quo. It's easier to love a hero when they're dead. Dr. King was an activist in the civil rights movement. Don't get me wrong. But he was also a frustrating voice for a lot of other things, like the Vietnam War and capitalism and even poverty. In fact, the night before he was killed, he delivered an infamous speech. It was not about securing a right for black people to vote. It was not about dismantling Jim Crow laws. It was about establishing a union for sanitation workers in Memphis. We have so sanitized his legacy that we forget he was once the most hated man in the country. We forget that he pushed an entire nation into places of discomfort. We forget that he was killed for challenging the way things were. Our sinfulness, it overwhelms our ability to remember truthfully and to be rational. We hear about godlessness and we immediately pull to mind all those other people we know. All those godless people, we don't think about ourselves. We read about God in scripture dying for the ungodly and we think about everybody outside of this room and not ourselves. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We continually participate in a world where people are battered and broken and bruised again and again and again. We do terrible things. And we leave undone terrible things that we should have fixed. We hear about a young black boy murdered, killed in California for holding a cell phone. We see it on the news, and after a couple days, we forget. We see images of families being ripped apart, mothers and fathers being sent back to countries while their children have to remain here all alone. And we see it and we feel bad, but if it's not happening to our family, it's not happening in our neighborhood, 
We just tune in to the next thing. We drive by people in our community every day who are begging for money and for food and for relationships. We lock our doors and we roll up our windows. But the light of the resurrection, the Easter story, it comes out of the darkness of the cross, out of the darkness of the tomb, and holds up a mirror to our lives. And says, who are you really? What do you really care about? Who are you? Who do you care about? This cross is like a mirror that forces us to ask ourselves, what are we doing? And all of us, the church, the Bible, they exist because they've been handed to us. Just like they were handed to Dr. King, his life was a testament to Jesus' resurrection power. It's what gave him the confidence to say and believe what he did, knowing full and well what might happen to him. He walked the walk, and it got him killed. Uh, One of my professors in seminary loved to tell the story. Uh, When he was a college student, it was during the height of the Civil Rights Movement, and his roommate was so convicted by what he heard Dr. King say that he got on a plane and he flew all the way to Washington, D.C. for the march. And he was from South Carolina, a deep part of South Carolina. So he flew all the way to Washington. He marched. He did everything he was supposed to do. He had a nice big banner. He listened to the speeches. And when he came home to college to his roommate, my professor, he said, you're never going to believe what happened to me. I got on the plane to come home. I was exhausted. I was so tired after marching and talking and screaming. And I go on the plane. I thought about coming home. And I looked down at the seat next to me that was empty. And then all of a sudden, someone came to sit in. And it was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. flying with me on a plane back to South Carolina. And he said he, he just couldn't believe it. And he started thinking about all the things he wanted to say. All the truths that had been revealed to him. But he was so nervous, he started planning out the speech in his head, and he finally had the courage, he turned to his side, and Dr. King had fallen asleep. <laughs> and they're flying all the way back to South Carolina, he's asleep on the plane next to him. And this young college student is thinking, oh, what a great opportunity. How many people get to say, they sat next to Dr. King. What if I squandered this opportunity? But he didn't want to wake him up. This is the leader of the Civil Rights Movement. He just gave the I Have Dreams speech. But right before they landed, he finally built up the courage and used his elbow. He elbowed Dr. King and woke him up. And he sort of jostled in his seat and looked over at him. And the young man said, Dr. King, I love your work. You have no idea how important you are to me. You've changed my life. I'm so grateful for everything you've said and done. And Dr. King said, my son, thank you very much. And he closed his eyes and go back to sleep. <laughs> he said, no, you don't understand you don't understand. I flew all the way to Washington because of you. Because of what you said. The way you live your life. I believe that the world has to change. You've convicted me. You've crucified my broken heart so that I could be someone new and someone different. He said, son, that's nice and good. I'm glad for you. As if you needed to go back to rest. He said, no, you're not listening to me, Dr. King. You don't get it. My father, he's a racist. I grew up listening to him use those words to talk about those people. And I hate my father. I hate him for the way he looks at the world. I haven't talked to my father in three years because of the man he is. And I want you to know, Dr. King, it's all thanks to you. And he grabbed him. Dr. King grabbed him by the collar. And he said, son, 
You have to love your father. If you don't love your father, all of this is for nothing. You have to love your father. And he closed his eyes, and he finally went back to sleep. One of the challenges of Easter, of the cross and the empty tomb, the light and the darkness, is that it's far too easy for us Christians, people who come to church on Sunday morning, to become so self-righteous as to say, I am right and you are wrong. It's easy to hold up the examples of sin, racism, economic disparity, and to say all those people are wrong and forget that we are sinners too. You don't have to be a racist to be a sinner. If you don't love your racist family member, you're a sinner too, just like I am. The cross uniquely binds us all together, the God-fearing and the God-hating, the godless and the ungodly, the God-filled and the God-empty. All of us are bound together in this, such that you have to love your father. You have to love your mother. You have to love your brother. You have to love your sister, even when they're wrong, because you and I have been wrong. But when we come here to the table, it is the mirror that forces us to reckon with who we really are. It's that time, that precious, finite moment where we can look and say, I can be better. That I am a sinner in need of God's grace. That I need to stop turning on the television and judging the people I see and start praying for them. That I need to stop judging the people I drive by in Woodbridge and start loving them. Because without that, all of this is meaningless. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.